Hey, thanks so much for checking out Crossview Church Sermons and listening to this podcast. Every week you can expect a message that strengthens your faith and encourages you in your walk with God. You're about to hear a message from Grace Hebert, our Care and Connect pastor here at Crossview. I'm going to take you to one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. It's about a wise, feisty, practical, beautiful, capable, and very brave woman who lived a thousand years before Christ around that time. And her name was, does anybody know? Abigail. Oh, (laughs) Phyllis. Her name was Abigail. And she found herself flanked on both sides by volatile men. Her husband, Nabal. Oh, I took my earrings off so it doesn't click on this, right? So on one side was Nabal, a very foolish, controlling bully, her husband, and on the other side, soon to be King David, who was about to do a reckless, murderous thing out of vengeance. We're going to look at five things that Abigail did to pursue peace, practical things that we can take home with us to help us love others with action and build and maintain healthy relationships while being conduits of peace instead of conduits of strife. So I love that word, conduits. Oh, it's there. See, that's so good. Um, You know, conduits is like an electrical connection, right? It connects two things. But another meaning for it is something intended to reconcile or connect two seemingly incompatible things. And, of course, that's, that's Abigail. <laughs> David and Nabal were, were as different as night and day, and she was a conduit of peace. And it takes us to 1 Samuel 25. So I'm going to read it for you. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assem- assembled and mourned for him. So Samuel was a prophet. He's the one who called David to be the king of Israel, if you remember. And they buried Samuel at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. So a certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and beautiful woman, and, but her husband was surly, that's like grumpy and ornery, and mean in his dealings. And he was a Calebite. Now, if you know the word, the name Caleb, not like our Caleb, but Caleb was one of the two spies who Moses sent to the promised land to scout it out. Do you remember that story? Mm-hmm. So that is where we find our story. It takes place in that area. When the Israelites went to the promised land, this is the area that they settled in. And so uh, that is where we're, that is, that, that is kind of around the area. I don't know if any of you have been there. I haven't. I would love to go. Nabal was a powerful and wealthy man, and we're going to learn that he was harsh and mean, and obstinate, and unyielding, and antagonistic. That means, like, kind of really hard to get along with. I I can't imagine what it would have been like working for him um, or being in his family. But Nabal is Hebrew. Uh, It's a Hebrew word. It's actually an adjective. It means foolish and senseless. Now, can you imagine this mummy coming home with her brand new baby boy and saying, oh, I'm going to call this little baby boy foolish. Now, the commentaries say that, that it was probably a name that was given to him because of his character. And, and that's not proven, but that kind of makes sense to me. So anyway, our, 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 our story opens in the midst of sheep shearing time in Carmel. It's a festive time when the sheep are gathered and then they're shorn. And then their wool is sold. And then there's lots of festivities and, and, and money is made. And, it, and there's a lot of um, celebration and a lot of drinking in Nabal's case. He liked to drink. That's alcohol, by the way. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. 
But in his case, he just drank too much. David and his men, there was about 600 of his men, were hiding from Saul in the wilderness of Paran, near where Nabal and Abigail lived. And during these many months, David and his men provided uh, protection for Nabal and other landowners against robbers and, and, and uh, think, uh, people that would want to harass them and steal from them and so on. So uh, that was kind of a thing that happened in those days, that a that, uh, man like David would f- provide protection from the, from the, from these, for these farmers against these robbers, and then the farmers and the landowners would then supply the men who protected them with, with water and food and wine and so on. So I'm going to read here. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. So David's telling his men what to say to Nabal. He said, Say to them, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it's sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs went missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable to my men, since we come at festive time. Please give your servants, that's my men, and your son David, me, whatever uh, you can find for them. So he's saying we we want to be um, um, thanked for for what we've done. This kind of sounds a bit like the mafia. Do you remember in Chicago and 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 and, uh, and New York or those like years ago where where the store owners would have to uh, get the mafia to to protect them and against robbers maybe from the mafia themselves and they they would pay them off. So that's kind of what it sounds like a bit to me. But anyway, that was the custom back then. That didn't that joke didn't uh, go, do, go well. Uh, Melissa was actually here earlier laughing at all my jokes, but I guess she's 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 gone now. So you know, if you sense that it's a joke, laugh a little bit. So when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal the message in David's name, and, and then they waited. And David, of course, knew it was sheep shearing's time, and, and, and he was hoping that, that they could also in, uh, enjoy some of the festivities. I, I think that's a natural thing, and, and it was very customary uh, for those being protected, in this case Nabal, to offer some sort of tribute, tribute or gift or thanks, like I said. And that's why David sent his men uh, to him. Uh, you can see here, by David's tone and his words, he came in peace. This was his intention. He, he was planning, and he planned this, and his, and his message was peace. He set up uh, his servants, or the men in his, in his uh, company, in his army, he set them up for success, to have a successful conversation by telling them what to say. He said things like, long life to you and good health to you. He gave his certain servants very clear instructions, including words of respect and honor. So that was his intention. He had them remind Nabal of the protection that he gave, and he made a point also of giving the men um, the words that he said, say this is in my name. So I'm speaking, it's as if David was there talking to Nabal himself. So that was another way uh, to honor Nabal. Now now it goes downhill from here, I'll tell you. So let's see how Nabal responded. Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Oh, dear. Nabal is an arrogant, selfless man, and he refused to share his abundance. He had plenty of, he was wealthy, scripture says. And he's really a quintessential example a great example of someone who was a conduit or a connection of strife. 
I think he must have had strife in relationships all over the place. Nabal knew full well who David was, and he was responding to David true to character. He was simply cruel, miserly, controlling bully, and not very smart, considering David was there with an army. Hello? Um, customs were di very different then in those days. Um, when, when hospitality demanded that travelers, any number of them, and people that protected you, if they would stop by your, your farm or your household, that you would invite them in, and you would, you would give them food and so on. So... Um, now you can imagine that this is not going to go very well. We wonder how David's going to respond, but let's check it out. Let's check it out. First Samuel 25, 13. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, that's to go to Nabal, while 200 stayed with the supplies. So here's David. He set out for revenge, not peace. He puts aside restraint, because we'll learn in a bit that he has practiced restraint before. He's unwilling to trust God. He takes matters into his own hands, and he chooses revenge and straps on that sword. I think it's very interesting, because David knew better. He totally knew better. This is the same David who penned the verse we're going to read now, just a bit ago, a while, uh, like a week or, or a few weeks ago. Could be days, uh, days because he wrote it. Um, when he was in a cave, and we'll talk about that in a second, but trying to escape from Saul. And this is what he wrote, Psalm 34, 14. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work hard to maintain it. It's very interesting that David wrote that verse uh, not long before he was able to strap on this, so this sword and kill and murder an entire household. And in, in those days, a household with all those sheep would have meant I think hundreds of, of employees and uh, that were paid and also servants and, and families and so on. The word um, pursue is actually, uh, it means to search for, pursue. These are action words. These are verbs, action words. It means to look for, actively chase after. And in this case, to chase after peace, to seek it out. And then it's followed by another action phrase, to work hard to maintain it, which is not something we just do once. It's something you practice regularly, a way to love others and grow in healthy relationships with others. He, he had a choice. He could have responded differently. Nabal's response resulted in a very angry David, whose intention is no longer peace but revenge. He's so angry, in fact, that he's ready to actually wreck his reputation and be vengeful. And nothing good comes from that. But Nabal and his shepherds were no, no match for David and his huge honking army. I, I just find it very interesting that just one chapter ago in 1 Samuel 24, if you, if you read it when you go home, it's fascinating to read this all together. We find David refusing to take vengeance against Saul. So here's what happened. Saul is on the hunt for David. You've heard about that. He, he, he got very jealous. He's on the hunt for David. And he goes into a cave, Scripture says, to relieve himself or to go potty. So he's... And, that was funny. And he's in the same cave as David. What are the chances of that they would land up in the same cave? That is just crazy. David had a clear opportunity to kill Saul, but he showed restraint. He listened to God, and he chose not to kill him. 
But instead, he trusted God for God to, to be that vengeful. God, the, the scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So here's what David shouted at Saul as he was leaving that cave. He kind of wanted Saul to know that he could have easily killed him. I, I, that's kind of fun. Anyway, here's what he says. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil come evil deeds. From evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I will never harm you. So we see that David, not long before this conflict was Nabal, with Nabal, had the ability to show restraint very well. And he also, in this, in this what, he said, what he said to Saul, infers that killing Saul would have been evil. So he knew very well that it was the wrong thing to do. So here he, here he is, a few days or weeks later, ready to take matters in his, into, into his own hands, unwilling to trust God to do the judging and instead strapping on a sword uh, to murder many people and many innocent people. Really, Nabal is the only guilty one here, but he's going to kill the whole whole slew of them. So now we have Nabal's servants. They come on the scene and they're very worried, rightly so. They're about to lose their jobs, (laughs) their lives, and everyone else's life, and they're very concerned. And I find it very interesting to note who they go to with their concern. These are Nabal's servants. Who do they go to? One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messages from the wilderness to give our master his greetings. But he, that's our master, his master Nabal, hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us. The whole time, we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. It's very clear here, and I can't imagine what it was like living with Nabal, but it's very clear that they were well experienced with the character of their boss. And in spite of Nabal's foolishness and cruelty, his servant did what he could to protect Nabal and his household and his employees. And Abigail was wise, and the servant knew that. That's why he went to her. And he went to her for a solution to this impending disaster because he was petrified to talk to his boss. A servant's life in those days would have been very unpleasant, I'm thinking, but it suddenly turned catastrophic when Nabal insulted David, the future king of Israel. Abigail had obviously become the source of wisdom and reason in this household because it was she the servant went to. I just think that's beautiful. We're going to talk about five things that Abigail did to pursue peace. The first one, she was generous and she prepared a gift with no questions and no judgment. She heard the terrible news from Nabal's servant, and this is what she did to pursue peace. This is what she said, verse 18. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayas of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins. Oh, you would love that. Cakes of raisins, Chris. Don't you love raisins? Okay, in stuff. Well, maybe this was like raisin cookies or something. I don't know. 200 cakes of pressed figs and, and loaded them on donkeys. So with Nabal, his servants, his shepherds, and his whole household in danger, lo- about to lose their lives, Abigail is on her way. Okay, look at this. Abigail is on her way on a donkey to a very angry man who's wielding a sword and he's got 400 
sword-wielding man with him. She is one brave, feisty lady. Oh, wow. Okay, verse 27. She said, let this gift which I, your servant, has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. This is what she said to David. She gave David and his men this generous gift of food and wine with no questions and no judgment. The gift that Nabal should have done. Judgment was God's job. Abigail, on the other hand, was on a mission, a mission to pursue peace, to be that conduit of peace between Nabal, her mean and controlling husband, and David, who was about to do a very ridiculous, unthinkable thing. She was not out of control. She didn't insult David. She didn't even spell out his evil deed or tell him all the bad things he did. She didn't grill him with a ton of questions. David knew full well what he was about to do. And remember, he had used refrain, refrain, refrain he had used, re, no. thank you, thank you for sharing, thank you for sharing. He had used restraint just a week or two ago and didn't kill Saul. So it's not like he couldn't do it, but here he is about to lose his brain. Um, and she did not blame him, she did not judge him, and didn't, she, she didn't call him out on what he was doing. About, uh, I don't know, maybe it's eight years ago now, I was ministering to a woman whose husband was an alcoholic. He would leave the house and come home having driven drunk home. And he would come home and, and she just didn't know what to do. And so she wanted to meet with me. And she said, I need help knowing how to respond to him. And, and, and so I said, absolutely. So when he comes home drunk, what, what, what happened? Tell, tell me what happened. Well, I said, you're drunk. And then he got really mad and started yelling at me. I said, you know, it's probably information that he already had. I think he would know that he was drunk. What would happen if you had said, wow, I'm so glad you're home safe? She said, well, he probably would have felt really badly. I said, yeah, wouldn't that be maybe a bit better? Abigail had this way of diffusing. She didn't need to call him out on his stuff. He knew what he was doing was ridiculous. And, and, and the next thing, so step number two, Abigail did not try to fix Nabal. Now, I know that's very hard. I, I, I really struggle with this. I always think that I can fix somebody. You know what do they say? that The definition of crazy is when you keep on doing the same thing looking for a different result. <laughs> I, we can't fix anybody, and Abigail knew that. After, um, so here's what she says, here's what she says. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you, but she did not tell her husband. After the servant told her that Nabal, what Nabal had done, oh, sorry, sorry, Abigail didn't stop and say, this is my husband's job. I'm going to leave him to the wolves. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to take that donkey and I'm going to ride the other way. And, and if he dies, so be it. Her immediate response wasn't foolish, like her husband's, nor was her immediate response out of control anger and strapping on her relational sword and gathering the troops, getting people around her. Instead, she chose to be a conduit of peace. And one of the ways she did that was trying not to fix her husband. She knew she couldn't do it because remember... Who was her husband? He was. His name was Nabal, and he was surly and mean in his dealings. She knew her husband well. She'd been married to him for a long time. She saw how he acted towards her. She saw how he acted with the servants and the staff. He was mean and cruel. She'd witnessed it. 
Remember, he was mean, bad-tempered, unfriendly. She made a wise choice not to tell Nabal her plan. Have you ever had a relationship with someone or you knew someone who was mean and cruel? You will know that you can't change that person. You can't change them. Abigail knew that she couldn't change her husband, and she also knew that if she went to him with her plan, there would have been a major argument. I can just imagine what would have happened, and she chose peace instead. And the third thing she did, she was respectful with her words and actions, and here's how she showed her respect towards David. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey. First of all, how fast does a donkey go? She went there very fast on a donkey. Do donkeys drive, ride fast? I'm just trying to think about that. I don't think they're very fast, but are they like a horse? Do you guys know? I'm not a farm person, but... Anyway, she quickly got off her donkey and she bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and she said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Isn't that something? We should try that. I don't think so. But I think it was very cultural back then. That's what you did. Actually, we do bow to a king and queen, right? Yeah, we do. I I think so, right? And although Abigail's husband and her culture would place a very low value on her, on women, Abigail bravely sought peace with David, a man with a sword and an army, and greeted him with honor and respect. In spite of what he was about to do, I mean, she must have had bravery from God because I can't, I can't imagine. She didn't yell. She didn't beg. She didn't blame. She didn't panic. Instead, she bowed before David with her face to the ground. She called herself servant, and she called him Lord. She could have chosen to judge, judge, judge David. She could have done that. that. That could have been her reaction. Rightly so. What are you doing? You're going to ruin everything. She didn't. Instead, she pursued peace with a humble heart and with humble actions. And she didn't hesitate either. She didn't say, oh, I've got to, I've got to think about this for several days and, and, and do the right thing. And No, she, she acted quickly. She knew it was the right thing to do. And here, when David was about to ruin himself, God protected him in spite of himself through the actions of Abigail. Isn't that beautiful? You see, Abigail was not responsible for the foolishness of her husband. She was not responsible for the rashful and vengeful spirit of David. She was, however, totally 100% responsible for her reactions and her response. Our relationships today, 3,000 years later, are really no different. We can't fix anyone. I know, I've tried. We are not responsible for the mistreatment of others, the unwise choices that others make. But we are always responsible for our actions and our responses. We can choose not to match their foolishness. Check out how Abigail continues her conversation with David here. Hear what I say your servant has to say. Hear what I, your servant. She's calling herself a servant. Pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, in her humble and respectful manner, Abigail made a choice not to judge David or question his motives. Rather, she wisely appealed to his... She honored him, not not to let a villain like Nabal cause David to take revenge. Don't let one man wreck your whole reputation. 
And so here now, Abigail was generous with no questions or judgment. She didn't try to fix Nabal. She was respectful, and she also honored him. Look how she honors him. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for you, my Lord, because you fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. I love how she calls out the good in him. She found the good in him. There's good in everybody. She found some. <laughs> There's good, some good in everybody. You fight the Lord's battle, she said. Abigail also had the perception to see David's future and who God was preparing David to be. She then spoke this poignant, prophetic word over David. No wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. And then she continued, verse 29. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, your life will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. By the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. A sling. Honoring David with her words, Abigail brilliantly used, used that analogy of the slingshot, which David used to slay Goliath. Isn't that so amazing? It would take him right back how God used that small little thing to slay this huge giant. And of course, everyone would have known that. I, I just think that's so amazing as a reminder of how secure David was in God's protection. Your life will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. And then verse 30 to 31, when the Lord has fulfilled for you every good thing he promised you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, you will not have your conscience, on your conscience, the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. She's selling the benefits of not doing this horrible thing. She's saying, you will, you, you will, you will not have this burden on you, this blemish on your record. She's saying, don't do this. You, you won't have this blemish on your record. She can fix him, but she's trying to explain to him. I think she's, she would be a great salesperson. She, she's a really good influencer. I, I just love this. She told David that his reputation as future ruler of Israel shouldn't be blemished by shedding innocent blood because of one man's foolishness. And she reminded him of who he was, God's chosen servant and soon-to-be king of Israel. She had set out to pursue peace, and in doing so, she, presented a, she prevented a massacre and, and David ruining his reputation. And then verse 28, the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for you, my Lord, because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Those were the words that made all the difference. She raised David's eyes and reminded him of God's plan for him. In a gentle, humble, non-panicked, non-blaming, non-judgmental way. With honor and wisdom, Abigail reminded David of who he truly was in God's eyes and who he would become. It's like she's saying, remember who you are. Remember who you're created to be. So she was generous with no judgment or questions. She didn't try to fix Nabal. She was respectful. She honored David. And she also knew when to be silent. Now, yeah, I, I don't want to cast blame, but I, I find it very difficult to be silent at, at times. I, I think I have to, um, I don't know, always be speaking. I do love listening, but I do have a problem being silent. But she really knew when to, when to be silent. So here we are in verse 36. When Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. That's wisdom. 
That's, that's real wisdom right there. She made a wise choice and waited until Nabal was, sold, was sober before she would tell him the danger that he had put everybody in. She knew that he was hot-tempered, and she had experienced it throughout her marriage, there's no doubt, and she'd seen how he had treated others. And then I can only imagine how worse Nabal would have been when you would add a drunken stupor to that. So I can't imagine. Abigail relied on a principle recorded by David's own son, Solomon, in Proverbs 26.4. And I have to wonder if Solomon wrote that when he heard about what happened with David and Nabal. Because here's what he wrote. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. We don't need to respond to foolishness with more foolishness. When we're hurt and angry, we don't need to... We don't need to verbally leak our brain and just speak our truth and vomit our mean things on people. We can choose choose not to ignore someone who is ignoring us. We can choose to be different. We need to choose the higher road and be recognizable as God's sons and daughters. Are we recognizable? Do people notice that we're different? About eight months ago, I was in a store. A local store and I saw someone I knew in the same aisle and I said hi and I smiled and the person did this walked away now I don't know about you but when, when things happen to me good or bad I often think of a song and the song that came to my mind was the Chariots of Fire song. You know when he's running on the beach? Da-da-da-da-da-da. Slow motion. Da-da-da-da-da. You know that song? Or are you too old or too young? Or, or I don't know. Anyway, so <laughs> I thought of that song, and I thought, I've got I've to go after this person. I, I've got I've to maybe help this person to, to say hello, maybe help this person to love me. I'd known the person for a long time. And then the verse came to me, pursue peace and work hard to maintain it. My dad would quote it a lot. And that verse came to me and that, and that song, and I thought myself running on the beach. Now, I've got two new knees, so I can't really run, but I kind of walked as fast as I could. And I found him next aisle, and I put my hand on his arm, and I said, I know it sounds weird, but this is what I said. I'm a person, and you're a person. And God loves me, and he loves you. And it's okay to say hi to me. It's okay to say hi to me. And he looked up, and I said, do you think you can say hi to me next time? And he said, yes. And I felt like, do you remember the donkey on Shrek? Okay, do you remember? Is it Chris Rock? I felt like a layer of onion was coming off me. You know, he talked about, (laughs) do you remember? I honestly felt like a layer of onion was coming off me, a layer of hurt. It just kind of vanished, that hurt. But it was because I, I pursued it. Do you understand? We're not responsible for the hurt that others inflict on us. But we can make a difference by helping them. We can't fix anybody. But I'll tell you something amazing. So if you missed the community time, you missed really good Ravukukan and, and watermelon. And so at one o'clock, I had to pick up the Ravukukan at Sobeys. And so I drove there, and it was quite full. 
and I see the same person. I haven't seen this person since that many months ago. I see the same person about to leave his parking spot. And I lock, I'm not kidding. That's one o'clock today. And I locked eyes on him and I said hi and I waved and he waved and smiled at me. I think that's pretty amazing. It may seem little, but it's huge to me. So this is how David responded. How do you think he responded to Abigail? David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, she went quickly on her donkey, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. When David listened to Abigail, he came to his senses. He realized how close he had come to doing something he would greatly regret. He did not get defensive. He could have easily said, hey, the guy deserved it. He's a total jerk, and he has every right to be slaughtered. Instead, he took the responsibility for his actions. You're right. Thank you for telling me. Here's what he didn't do. He didn't justify his actions one speck. He didn't blame anybody, and he didn't even blame Nabal. We may not actually have an actual sword or an army of men like David, but we can easily strap on our relational swords when we find ourselves in conflict or in a situation when, where someone is not being kind or someone is hurting us. Our weapons may be ignoring someone in a store, stirring up trouble at a family gathering by speaking or just listening to unkind things about the person at the family gathering. We could be giving an angry gesture in a car or an unkind comment to a neighbor or ignoring a friend by not responding to her texts or calls because she's hurt you. I think that's called ghosting. Have you heard of that? <laughs> ghosting. That, that means ignoring somebody on, a, on social media, right? Bev, did you know that? Ghosting. That's a, that's a new word. Peace does not come to us automatically just because we're following Jesus. But rather, we need to work hard at achieving peace and looking for opportunities, having it in our mind. Remember, it's not just one thing you do. It's something that you think about. And I'll tell you, if we say, Lord, I want to live at peace with people, he puts them everywhere. <laughs> it's true. Okay, look, look, let's look what Paul says in Romans. That's one of my favorite chapters is Romans 12. Oh, man, it's such a great chapter on having healthy relationships. I just love it. Read it tonight in the NLT. I know Tom Dick says that's a grade five level, but I love the NLT. It, it, do you know why? It translates phrase by phrase, not word for, by word. Is that right, Chris? And so it's easy to understand. And so this is Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, notice the caveat there. Very important caveat. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace. The writer knows that someone may not want to be live, at pe live at peace with you. There may be someone who will just absolutely not want to have a relationship with you and will ignore you. You can't make them. You can't fix anybody. But as, as far as it depends on you, now I'm not saying you should chase after every person <laughs> at, 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 at the store. 
We can't change anybody, but we can hope and we can pray and we can still love them. And I have lots of ideas of how to love people you're not in relationship with. You can talk to me after if you want an idea. We must do our part to live at peace with them. A person who wants peace must choose not to be negative, argumentative, critical of others, judgmental, or a gossip. Peaceful relationships come from our efforts at peacemaking doing all we can to live at peace with everyone as much as possible. This is going to take some effort and some persistence. Practice loving others who have hurt us. It's hard. It is. But I'll tell you, it's worth it. And the other thing is, once you start doing it a little by little, because God tells us to do it, we're being obedient, your feelings will catch up with the obedience. It starts with one thing, one smile, one hello, just starts little. If you go to a funeral and you see people from, from whatever are th- that are there, one smile, one hello, just starts with a little. As you start, it'll, it gets easier to do that. Here's a few things I want you to consider. Living at peace with someone does not mean you have to agree. Unity is not agreeance. I may have a different view from my siblings or a friend on vaccinations, how to take care of our elderly parents, Politics, parenting styles. Oh, I have lots to say about parenting styles that are very different from, from, from what they're doing today, but I, I, honor, I honor them. I may have lots of feelings, but that should never stop me from seeking a peaceful and loving relationship with that person. It should not stop me. What church you go to or what you, what you view, what, you, what your views are on vaccination when we don't have relationships with the people because they don't agree with us. What the heck? This should not be happening. Solomon had lots to say and had lots of wise things to say about healthy and unhealthy relationships and what they looked like. Look what he says. Here again, that's David's son. Proverbs 17, 14. Starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So stop before a dispute breaks out. And also living at peace with someone does not mean that you have to speak everything you think. It doesn't mean that you have to agree and doesn't mean you need to speak everything you think. I have lots of opinions about a lot of things that I think are true. But if I spoke everything that I thought was true, I would have no job, I would have no friends, and my family would probably despise me. But I, I might think I'm happy, but I can't imagine. <laughs> I've heard this phrase, and I want to tell you, in all my 66 almost 67 years, I've heard this phrase many times by men and women. I shoot straight from the hip. I tell it like it is. I tell the truth, at least. People don't like it, that's on them. I just say it like it is. The thing is, there's nothing about that in Scripture. In fact, Scripture tells us the absolute opposite of that. The problem with that way of thinking is that it's not Jesus As followers of Jesus, we need to invite Jesus to guard the door to our lips. I love that verse. To help our lips speak the right things, kind things. Because our propensity to hurt others with our words is humongous. Paul says it like this to the young church in Ephesus. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then again, this is David's son speaking in, in Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. 
We need to ask ourselves, is that gracious? How we speak to our parents, how we speak to our grandparents, how we speak to our friends, are our words gracious, are they kind? Do we, ha- do we have to say everything we think? No, sometimes we can just be silent. You notice, Abigail didn't point out all of David's faults. And one other thing, living at peace with someone does not mean you have to clear the air or discuss all the details of your issues as much as you would like to. In fact, it may mean that you might never be able to talk about the tough issues that led to the conflict you're feeling. And that is hard, I realize that. It would be a wonderful thing if we could get together in peace and kindness and talk about the things that we don't agree on and come to a loving understanding of each other's opinions and feelings. That would be wonderful. But sadly, it's not always possible. In fact, probably not that often is it possible. It doesn't mean, though, that you should avoid the person for the rest of your life. Ignore them in stores. Talk meanly about them to other people. Instead, pursuing peace may mean actually going to that family gathering and watching a football game together. Or make a choice to smile and say hello to that person when you see them in the store. So there's a little thing that I want you to reflect on it bit here. I want you just for a minute, think of a relationship in your life that you need to pursue peace in and ask yourself if there is anything you need to do to make things right with that person. And then make a plan to pursue peace with that person and put that into action and don't put it off. Get on that donkey and do it quickly. I want to leave you with this amazing verse that David wrote one more time. and Let's say it together. Search for peace and work hard to maintain it. Dear Lord, thank you for the example of Abigail. Help us to be brave and do all we can to pursue peace. Do our part as much as dependent on us to live at peace with everyone. Help us not to get stuck in our hurts and offenses and match other people's foolishness, but rather be open to actively loving one another, especially those who have hurt us. Maybe we'll start little with just a smile. Give us the courage. Fill us with your peace today so that we can be reflections of your love and your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.